Hello listeners, welcome to another great podcast. I'm Satavisa. The rapidly evolving global data ecosystem is no longer restrained to the hands of a few experts. Irrespective of its size and manpower, companies are now much more eager to use data science, machine learning and AI into their operations. To discuss further on this matter, today we have with us Grant Case, Vice President, Strategic Accounts APAC at Dataico. Grant has a strong business and technical background. He's also a lecturer and adjacent faculty member for the Masters in Applied Analytics program within the School of Professional Studies at Columbia University. Hello, Grant. Welcome to Analytics Insight. It's great to have you here. Thanks so much. Uh, very much appreciate it. Glad to have the conversation today. Thank you. And uh, I would like you to give a little brief about yourself and also your company. Sure, uh, a little bit about myself. My name is Grant Case. I am the Regional Vice President for Sales Engineering out here at Data IQ. Uh, I have came to Data IQ approximately about four years ago uh, after a career both from a, a vendor side. So I spent uh, five years at IBM and also from uh, the business side. So I've worked for Citigroup and Royal Bank of Canada. I have an MBA from in finance and decisions and decision modeling from Indiana University in the United States. And my background has been quite diverse over the last uh, 20 years. I've been in the IT organizations. I, when we were all calling this data science stuff, uh, just statistics, I was doing it way back when. I have done collections, program management, finance, uh, even was over 400 business bankers across uh, the United States when I was at Citigroup. So a very varied background. Uh, before I came here to Dataiku, where I've spent the last four years, basically heading up a lot of, both starting out in the United States as the second sales engineer there in the United States, uh, repping our platform, and then also the second individual here in the ANZ marketplace as well. So it's been a very, very interesting journey, uh, just as everyone I believe probably has had over the last four, four to five years, especially if you've been in this analytics space. Uh, we here at Data IQ, we sell a, uh, a self-service and analytics uh, data science platform called uh, Data Science Studio. Uh, the platform itself, in terms of its vision, hasn't really changed uh, since its founding in 2013. It, our four founders who came together as previously working in search and data science felt the need to uh, bring all of the different players together inside of an organization in order to bring something uh, to production. So as a platform, if you look all the way back to like version one to our newest version 10, which launched earlier this year, uh, while obviously new features have come on board throughout that time, so talking about things like deep learning, the use of Kubernetes, Spark, et cetera, the whole concept has always been the same. How do we get multiple individuals of different backgrounds inside of an organization in order to bring our analytics uh, products and our analytics data into a production setting. So that's a little bit about myself. It's been, a, it's been an incredibly interesting journey, especially for an organization where I started out as employee 127 and we just passed 1,000 uh, employees today. So it's been quite, an, quite a ride. That sounds really great. Now, I'm a little curious about what does it take to start with AI? 
So that's a great question. And really, that's one of the things over the last uh, this time as I spend a lot of time with customers both here in the ANZ marketplace and across uh, Asia as well. How do you get started with AI? And really, it's not as difficult as a lot of people say think. Uh, it can be just as simple as starting to understanding of finding the data and truly looking for the problem. What I have found is a lot of organizations, I, I talk about, I talk to customers and it's like, see this AI, see this box right here? That is not AI in a box. I can't bring you AI in a box. AI is the collection of all of the talent and thoughts, processes within your organization applied to a particular set of problems. So really, it's starting just with a use case. Can I solve something? Can I predict something in the future? I have a former colleague who liked to say, what would you pay for a newspaper yesterday? How about today? And how about tomorrow? Obviously, you want to pay a lot for what might happen tomorrow. And that's, in effect, what we're trying to do with this AI. Can I first find a, a use case where I need to do some sort of prediction? But AI could be just as simple as, how do I automate a set of processes uh, for a data pipelining so I can get more information to, out to my colleagues? So when I think about what do I need to get started with AI, and in fact, when I ask the question to clients, it's really, what data do you have available to you? And do you have a use case that I can use that data to support uh, a potential uh, result associated with it? So again, it's not about Technology, in fact, about a McKinsey study that was done a few years ago, when we talk about AI and the projects that don't make it in, that don't make it, only about 5% are due to just technology. It's really about the people and processes uh, that really fold into that AI. So let's find some data. Let's find the data, uh, the domain experts, and let's solve that particular problem. That sounds really interesting. Now, uh, we all know more or less about Facebook and Amazon, and but mm -hmm. what do you think, what about the companies that are not digital or not native on the cloud? What do they do? Well, that's a, it's an interesting question right now is, and I hear this a lot from customers, maybe not so much today as I did maybe two or three years ago. It's just, you know, what I, you say AI, you say machine learning, you say analytics, it's like, wow, that's a little, you know, that's beyond us. It's like, we can't even find the data today. Uh, to be fair, I think for most, and I would refer, you know, those organizations that maybe legacy organizations, they can, they have the ability to get into this AI business and get a lot of value from it. Uh, if I was talking about five years ago, it was probably a lot more, it was a lot more difficult uh, we see with the cloud, uh, those customers who are moving on to the cloud, they have a much easier time. Uh, there's a number of services, there's technologies such as DataIQ that can help facilitate that. Uh, I actually worked with Thomas O'Toole, uh, who's uh, from Northwestern University in the United States. And we collaborated a little bit around this whole discussion of legacy uh, organizations and getting into the cloud and really getting into AI. And that's the key. It, it doesn't, you don't have to be a thing. So, you know, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, et cetera, to really get into AI at this point. In fact, if you're probably a little bit behind, if you're not even uh, entertaining these sorts of questions and different aspects today. Uh, 
especially here in ANZ in Asia, we've been a little bit behind the rest of the world, but I think, and I've come back to this concept and idea around uh, the Indian subcontinent and never really going to landlines, jumping directly to uh, cellular technologies for uh, phone. That's what we can do out here in Asia today. We don't have to do everything. We don't have to build everything that perhaps EMEA and the US really had to build out maybe five years ago. Those technologies are available through vendors such as ourselves and through the cloud uh, organizations. So if you're a legacy today, you can absolutely jump into this stuff without necessarily having to, in effect, crawl through all of the morass that everyone had to do before. Let's you know make use of that technology. That sounds great. Now, on the similar point, I want to ask if companies are looking to implement a successful AI strategy, like what are the things that they need to take into account? So if when I'm counseling organizations around what they want to do and how are they, what are the sorts of things they need to be thinking about in terms of AI strategy? Uh, for us, the first two things I think about are people, process, and data. So you can kind of think back to the McKinsey model for transformation, people, process, and technology. So people, process, and data, I need to figure out those aspects. Those are still the most important when I'm trying to think about my AI strategy. If I don't have those, uh, I can't really transform my organization. That needs to be wrapped in some sort of governance. So if I am implementing some sort of AI strategy, especially over the last three to four years, uh, I need to be doing so uh, from a values-based perspective, ensuring that I'm actually doing what I'm saying I'm doing, and I'm doing it in such a way that uh, is very, uh, very ethical. The flip side, it is very governed and I and operationalized, so I'm not having to think about it. And all of this has to be bookend through vision and value. What I'm also counseling to, especially C-suite, so CMOs, CEOs, CFOs, I talk a lot about you must be able to uh, present a vision of what you want your analytics and AI to do to the rest of the organization. You don't necessarily need to know what PyTorch is and what it can do or the difference in TensorFlow or thinking about you know, different infrastructure capabilities, but you do need to be able to present a vision of what that might be. And you need to have some sort of results set. You need to be able to set some metrics and benchmarks to determine the value you're getting out of it. If you have all of those things together, you can build, you will build the best AI strategy possible and you will accelerate your ability to actually, uh, your business in general by implementing these sorts of technologies. Thanks for explaining that, Kron. Uh, I'm a little curious about data platform key. It will be great mm -hmm. if you can brief me about it. Yeah. So one of the questions we I get asked a lot, especially back to that original question, is like, what do you need if you want to start an AI strategy? Well, you need data. Uh, in order to do this, you need some sort of data. Uh, for the most part, those organizations that are still new uh, to coming into the cloud, you'll have, there is some, you know, where do we warehouse that data? What do we do with that data itself? Well, guess what? We need to put it some location. And that's when, in effect, we have to start thinking about data platforms. I'll give you a great example of this. I'm working with a very large uh, financial institution in uh, Southeast Asia. 
for them, they are moving very slowly uh, from an on-premises environment into the cloud itself. When they're doing that, they're also trying to think about, well, yesterday I built, I bought a lot of servers and I had a bunch of hard drives and I might've had a Hadoop instance uh, and an old Oracle database that we were all doing this. When I'm moving into the cloud, I'm transforming what I'm doing from an AI strategy. I have to think strategically about a replatforming of where my data lives. So in order to develop the analytics uh, and build the AI and machine learning, I need a good foundation of data. So this is where we start thinking about uh, my colleagues at places like uh, at, in Microsoft Azure or Snowflake, where they're helping organizations take that data and put it in a location where they can ultimately make it available, not just to an effect platform such as AIQ, but the entire organization, whether that's visualization capabilities, maybe that's uh, real-time access by uh, specific applications, that platform becomes incredibly key. And you'll see most organizations are starting that, when they're starting that journey, they have to have that platform in place. Now that's not to say you can't get value immediately from AI, but just taking you know, subsets of data and beginning its use. But in order to make that jump, to make that leap, uh, for most organizations, there will be a replatforming or creating a new data platform within the cloud itself. I think this is probably, we see this happen maybe every two decades inside of the IT organizations uh, today. This replatforming of data into the cloud is by far and away probably the most important decision any organization will make in the next probably 10 years. And because in effect, you're moving your entire nervous system, every memory of the organization into the cloud itself. So wherever that data lives, you must be able to get to it and you must be able to take something away from it. So for me, that's why these data platforms are incredibly key, especially when we're talking about AI and machine learning, because in effect, in order for us to do anything, we must be reliant upon them. Doesn't mean we can't start, because I see a lot of clients that say, I can't start without having this platform in place. Well, guess what? Uh, I don't know too many companies today that can do nothing for two years and still be competitive. So it's a kind of a push-pull. I need that platform of new data in order to work uh, with my analytics, but I also need to be fast following with some sort of analytics so I can sell that within this journey within the organization itself. That sounds really interesting. Now, I would like to know about your opinion on the trends of how your customers are leveraging ML, AI, and augmented analytics, and how are these impacting on companies' data journey? And it will be also great if you can tell me how they are leveraging the cloud platforms. So again, when we think about a lot about uh, auto machine learning and these uh, adaptive analytics tools today, we're thinking a lot about, well, how can I empower a lot of people in the organization to do this sort of predictive? So when I was talking about earlier, when we're talking, when I'm talking to a client, I'm thinking particularly to start with, what are the sorts of use cases you are trying to solve today? What are the things like if I knew what was going to 
happen three days from now or a range of things that might happen three days from now? What would I do and impact that? So that's where these predictive uh, AutoML capabilities come in. So we here at DataIQ, obviously we've included that within our own platform itself, but I look at this as a way to encourage the use of these predictive capabilities and understanding across organizations. We're seeing a lot more democratization of this. Uh, I've given talks in the past where I talk about, uh, I give a talk about scaling the data science mountain. And in my own view, what we're seeing right now is the same bifurcation that we saw at the beginning of the aughts, where you couldn't throw a rock without hitting a webmaster. Now, you wouldn't find a webmaster. So somebody who is responsible for the, the website's technology and also uh, the content. That is bifurcated. That is now we have web developers and we have an effect kind of marketing and content specialists who are sitting there writing. So the technology and the content diverged. We're seeing this auto ML capabilities and kind of the same thing. We're seeing you know, ML engineers begin to rise. Those individuals who are going deep into deep learning, uh, doing things like PyTorch, building out uh, NLP models. But we have also found we can't take these individuals and solve every problem. So we're seeing this bifurcation now where uh, auto ML capabilities coming into the hands of what we call uh, the citizen data scientist or uh, even the analyst in general. How can I empower these individuals to begin working? So we've seen a lot of work there, uh, mostly on what I would consider more of the UI elements but also ensuring that whatever is being built by these individuals uh, is being done so in a governed and ethical fashion. Uh, for example, uh, over the last three years, we've seen an incredible uh, increase in the amount of academic research uh, behind the idea of fairness in AI or fairness in machine learning. We're, the tools such as Data IQ are starting to build that uh, take that academic research and build it into the tool itself so we can enable and empower those uh, analysts and citizen data scientists to work. The flip side of that is for those machine learning engineers, what they're beginning to get out of uh, tools such as uh, DataIQ is the ability to iterate much more quickly. So whereas before they might be thinking, doing a lot of heavy coding, what we're seeing now is a lot of these individuals being able to take a tool like DataIQ can uh, run hundreds, potentially thousands of different iterations of a model, get to what they believe might be a good results, then take that set of learnings, those hyperparameters or, or the algorithm that's used and begin working in their process. So how can I start to imbue more domain expertise, feature engineering, et cetera? That's what that bifurcation is becoming incredibly important. And that's probably one of the biggest keys I'll see, I see right now in this auto ML capabilities. In addition, just in integrating more domain expertise. And so that domain expertise is typically coming in and from both individuals within the organization itself through more shared experiences between machine learning engineers, data scientists, and domain experts. The second is uh, showing up in what we would call uh, feature stores, uh, which is a fairly new, con it's, a con it's a new concept, but all of the components associated with it are basically things that we've seen out there in the world today for the last 20 years. 
So for example, when we talk about a feature store, it could, we're talking about here is one moment in time and here is everything I know about my customer. What was their credit score? What was their act? What was their active balance? What was their principal balance? How much interest had they paid? Uh, uh, how many open lines do they have? What, how many credit card offers had I sent? All of those different components become incredibly important when I'm trying to build new models. Well, the feature store enables me to think about all of those uh, at once, at any point in time, which gives both that citizen data scientist, the analyst, the ability to begin working with, but also the flip side helps that machine learning engineer uh, build even better models. So that's really what I'm seeing right now in this, in this space. It's how can I imbue more domain expertise in my, model, in my model building and model generation process? And how many more people can I get in as a part of the process? Because I can't, I can't hire enough data scientists today. I see, amazing. Uh, now I'm curious if you can tell me some of the interesting use cases where the customers are solving the problems with the help of data and how are you incorporating the data privacy into your operations? <laughs> That's a great question. And let's take data privacy first because I think it's incredibly important. Uh, there's a there's a famous case, I guess it's now about two years old now, where uh, the tar Target, which is a retail store in the US, uh, built a model to try to determine when a woman was pregnant. Uh, this model was so good that they would send, based upon where they believed their pregnancy of an a woman was, what they were buying, and then prompting them with additional with additional uh, collateral. So coupons, circulars, et cetera. Uh, one individual uh, found his 16-year-old daughter was getting these and he was asking why. Well, the model was so good that they actually understood. Uh, she, they had a very, very difficult uh, discussion afterwards. So what Target has learned, and what Target learned and what we're all learning right now is we don't wanna create, if we're, taking data and AI and machine learning and applying that, people don't want the, okay, I want you to be helpful, but I don't want you to be uh, spooky at the same time. So in effect, when we're talking about data privacy, it's starting to blind things out of the data itself. Maybe there are certain aspects of a customer that we shouldn't include. Maybe in in the case of financial services, I cannot include because it's restricted by a, a governmental agency or regulation. But that is, when we're talking about data privacy, especially when we're talking about machine learning, we have to, I love this, uh, Stephen Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. The second habit is begin with the end in mind. So in this case, when we're building out machine learning models, especially when we're talking about data privacy, we have to begin with the idea that, hey, would we want to include this? What would someone say? So if the Sydney Morning Herald came out tomorrow with an article and had my face on the front page, would I feel good about that? Would my company feel good about that? Would my customers feel good about that? So data privacy become, starts at home in a lot of ways. Also, data privacy starts a lot with the different individuals 
and the platform itself. Back to our discussion. Uh, do I grant, should I even have access to that data? Should I be able to see your FICO score or your credit history or your list of transactions? Those become incredibly important because they're very questions that you don't typically begin asking until after someone's had a problem or someone's come to you with a problem. So let's have those questions ahead of time. So do we want to include those, uh, those protected uh, features into our models itself? I think a lot of data privacy, you'll also hear the concept of tokenization as well. So tokenizing the data, a differential privacy. So in essence, we're not even showing the data within the data source, but the model itself understands the patterns associated with them. These aspects, this, if you begin with this concept of data privacy at the beginning of your data platform, the beginning of your AI journey, helps you so much because now you don't have to think about it later on. As far as what our customers are doing today, well, to be fair, we always want to include data privacy. Um, in fact, we include GDPR capabilities inside of the platform itself so people can at least understand our models being generated. Are you including different elements that should not be or should be as a part of your models themselves? But some of those are fun things. So for example, there is a streaming service that I've been working with that they've now built a recommendation engine based upon data IQ that they're serving to their serving to their uh, digital clients today. Uh, it's an interesting, whereas something that might have you might have had to go out and build on your own five years ago. Now it's basically three individuals using platforms such as data IQ to immediately make that available to hundreds of thousands of clients in terms of the recommendations. In addition, another great one we've been talking to a customer about is around safety. Uh, how, we don't think of safety as a very particularly interesting AI. You know, typically it's like, ooh, can I do recommendations, personalizations, et cetera. But safety, uh, when we're talking about, especially can be some of the highest cost uh, for an organization. What happens? If a individual has an accident on a shop floor, not only are you impacting that individual's time uh, and their cost and pain, but that's also opportunity costs while others are feeling that effects and also down the line. Maybe I've got some sort of sources I, or data stores I have to, or uh, vendors I'm having to deal with at the same time that have SLAs uh, with me. So say in essence, helping categorize and understanding uh, potential safety claims and where that might be happening. Uh, another great one I've seen uh, throughout, uh, and this is a public, uh, Etihad, who is one of the largest airlines in the world, is a, also a, a customer of DataIQ. At the beginning of the pandemic, well, you would think, well, this is a, a, large, a large airline, uh, the pandemic's coming. We must shut everything down. And that is absolutely what happened to many airlines across the world. Etihad immediately took the data they were having. It's like, how do we turn this on this head? How do we begin to you know, lower cost, uh, understand where I might have uh, revenue gaps, but also revenue opportunities as part of this? So for us and for Etihad, that was an amazing potential. So while we always talk about there might be uh, where there might be costs, there could 
there's always opportunity where it might be had. So in Etihad's example, they also, they began to predict what sort of catering their first class clients uh, on flights are. Uh, if we look at most carriers today, and DataIQ has a number of those uh, as customers, they're, they're trying to understand their customer better because the, that premium customer, the one who's paying four to five times the amount of just one individual in the back, uh, is so very important. And that's the difference for a lot of these uh, airlines between making it and being profitable and ultimately losing money and not having uh, not having an airline. So regardless of where we're looking at, where, where we're talking about traditional personalization uh, and recommendation, whether we're talking about things such as safety or even just talking about more of uh, a big, large organization itself, like Etihad, those are all places where we can, where Data IQ is taking AI and machine learning and applying it uh, to incredibly interesting outcomes uh, for customers. That's really interesting. I'm really glad that you told me this. And uh, now, can you please give me a brief about Data IQ plugins and how they work? Oh, well, you're going a little off the side, but we'll go ahead and talk about it. Uh, so, one of the things as a platform we started out with is we are an end-to-end -end platform. We touch everything from data ingestion to preparation to feature engineering to model building and ultimately some sort of deployment, whether it's an API, it's a, uh, a customer who is trying to just run a batch job. Uh, all of those are domain of a tool of our tool. However, we know that we can't serve every client's needs. What we do know is most of our clients are very, very interesting organizations who have a lot of talent in place. So we have what we refer to as Data IQ plugins. These are ways that we here at Data IQ and our customers themselves actually extend the tool in ways that we don't necessarily we can't necessarily devote the, the data science or the development uh, resources today, or our customer is trying to integrate them closer into uh, their data IQ closer into their environment. So for example, a customer can take data IQ plugins and write something in Python or R that ultimately creates a UI that then those different personas within the organization can reuse. We're very big on reuse. So part of being a collaborative data science environment, such as our, our platform, such as ourself, is also how do we create reuse? Because ultimately what happens is if I am doing, a, if I am planning my AI projects, I'm typically not selecting the, the the least amount of revenue I can generate or the lowest amount of cost I can save. I'm finding the largest. So what ends up happening is every project that comes in, it, I'll have incremental value, but over time, it's gonna begin to shrink because the cost will become up while the price, while the revenue or the incremental value will begin to fall. So unless I'm dropping that cost, I'm all, I'm at some point in time, those are going to cross and every project that I'm going to have is going to be more expensive than it was to actually, the, the value I'm going to get is going to be less than what I can generate. 
So when we talk about plugins, plugins are about reuse. That reuse comes in many different fashions. So for example, uh, we have a very large uh, consumer packaged goods platform, our customer uh, within Europe today. Uh, they have brand managers across the world. These brand managers are trying to understand what social media is talking about in terms of the brands. If you're a uh, if you're a brand manager, that's probably one of that voice of the customer is one of the most important things you can uh, understand. But if I have all of this data, I can I would like to be able to take some of the most technologically advanced techniques in natural language processing to understand the sentiment of what people are saying, to be able to pull out the topics of what we're saying. So we're big. Uh, Let's say down here, uh, Vegemite is a huge brand. They're not necessarily a customer of Data IQ, but let's just use them as, a, as a, uh, an example. If I'm trying to understand what my customers are talking about with Vegemite, I want to be able to ingest that data around the, uh, the social media, and I want to understand the topics. Are people finding interest in uh, are what's happening with my la latest brand campaign? What about colors, et cetera? Natural language processing allows me to pull out that data without necessarily structuring it in a way. Uh, well, if I'm a brand manager, I have no idea, zero about how to code that. But this particular co consumer packaged goods customer actually has a fairly large data science team, but they can't manage every brand manager in every request. So what this team did, that data scientists, they built some Python, they used as natural language processing libraries, and they have created, in effect, a reusable asset that my brand managers can now in, inject in the data from social media and begin to pull out the insights and value. And that's the benefit of what we do with plugins. It's enabling those different uh, use cases today that maybe not necessarily out of the box, but how can I take a little bit of code or a little bit of work that has been done by a data scientist or a programmer, wrap that so that the rest of the organization can do. And I think that's very indicative of everything that we do at DataIQ is that reuse capability becomes incredibly important because ultimately that's how I ensure that I continue to create incremental value across all of those projects and across my organization. And that's indicative of everything. I don't care if you go down the data IQ route or you go with another platform. Ultimately, you should be thinking as a business owner or a business, or a business executive, how can I most easily recognize the value of where potential AI is? What is my vision for that? How can I ascertain the value associated with it? And ultimately, how can I generate that value so that everyone in the organization cannot just see it now, but see it later on. Because ultimately, uh, if anything, this re, uh, the great resignation that we're seeing right now, people are changing jobs all the time. So the knowledge you have of your organization, the no that domain expertise is walking out the door every day. And if it walks out the door and it doesn't come back, it's gone. What a platform like Data IQ does 
And that through reusability, through all of this, is ultimately we want to hold on to that so that it can be reused. So the next person, today, tomorrow, next year, you know, five years from now, can still get a hold of that and generate value from it. And that's ultimately what we are as the platform. Indicative of that plugin capability is that, you know, Data IQ have customers that do everything from just, hey, I, I just need to do some data processing and run a batch job, all the way up to, I'm using PyTorch to do natural language processing to tra translate speech into text, uh, do topic modeling, and then ultimately use that as part of a set, separate set of models itself. Whatever those jobs are, whatever they are, that's in effect what we do as a platform today to try to bring it all together. Because ultimately, that's what customers need. They need that ability, that Swiss army knife to tackle any potential problem they might have. Because if I'm only looking at this little piece of the puzzle today, what happens when finance has a problem or marketing, or, you know, operations, all of these people need to be talking together. And again, that's why we're here. That sounds quite cool. Uh, uh, now, lastly, I would like to ask you, what does the road ahead looks like for machine learning and AI? And where do you see data IQ in future? So if I was to put on my prognosticators cap, uh, I am seeing, I see the most potential in unstructured data today. So video, voice, sound, uh, text, all of those that stuff, data that sits outside of necessarily a database or a file today. Uh, that data is, I think about last one, last piece I saw about 98% of the data that an organization generates is in effect uh, just free text or it's free file uh, or things like speech versus you know, what you'll find in a database. There's a tremendous amount of potential and value. And what we're seeing is an acceleration in a lot of the deep learning capabilities. I expect to see a lot of these deep learning capabilities become quote unquote more democratized, uh, being able to be used by more and more users uh, inside of the organization today. Uh, we at DataIQ fully believe that. Uh, it's, this is not just the domain of the machine learning expert. Ultimately, everyone in the organization is going to be doing a lot of this. I see in effect the more automated capabilities as it relates to uh, machine learning and analytics in general. Uh, so when I say automated, I mean, being able to have uh, systems look at data and tell them interesting things about it being able to correspond and interact with these systems, not necessarily by just text or excuse me, by just uh, pointing and clicking and typing something, but being able to interact in a much more holistic and interesting fashion. If I was to look more towards, uh, I see open source continuing to grow uh, as a capability, but I also see that open source the need to organize the open source capabilities of different analytics technologies and AI and machine learning to become more and more complex. Uh, I know 
multiple customers today that have gone out and built a platform like Data Iku on their own. Um, that's great, good for you. Uh, we've been, uh, I believe at last count, we're about a half a billion dollars in uh, investment in our organization by outside firms. And we have an eight year lead uh, on effectively what you're doing. So for me, especially if you're a, uh, you're new to the space, if you haven't chosen kind of this AI technologies yet, I don't care if it's DataIQ or someone else, uh, but you should be looking at a platform such as ourselves and not trying to do it on your own. If someone's telling you to go build it, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I got, I've got a thousand people here in this organization that are working on it uh, without you. If I was to say kind of what's, you know, what do I see more for Data IQ? Um, I see if us continue, our vision of what AI and machine learning and self-service analytics hasn't changed. So you can go back into the downloads.dataiq.com slash public and you can see like all the way back to version two. I think we got it back to version two, little the versions ones you can't find anymore. But if you were to track that throughout this entire process, uh, you wouldn't see much deviation in our vision. There was more features. We've got more technologies we've included, 349 different open source packages and libraries. Ultimately, that's going to continue to grow, but I don't think the vision is going to change that much. If I see for us, I see it more for uh, what I would consider the more last mile, the operationalization and governance of these technologies is being critical for us over the next two years. Uh, in this last release of Data IQ, we released our latest node, which is called Data IQ Govern. This is where we begin domain over the projects themselves. So when we think about operationalization, we think about how do I get things to run every day, week, month, but govern, we start to think about, well, did Grant sign off on that? Did Ted sign off on that? Did, did uh, Colleen sign off on that? What was the budget behind it? Uh, when was that project done? Uh, should we be re-looking at it? That governance aspect is something I see uh, throughout, uh, especially as we think about data privacy, and AI ethics and fairness, those capabilities are becoming more and more important. And I see not alone, you know, I see we're going to be definitely investing in those over the next two years, uh, uh, fairly uh, substantially, but I see that happening across the industry itself. If you're not thinking about AI fairness, governance, operationalization as an organization, Again, beginning with the end in mind, uh, you're going to have a you're not going to have a good time. Uh, so I see that you know for us, we want our customers to be on the ahead of the game. We want them to be ultimately much more impactful, and that's how we're going to do it. That sounds amazing, and I'm sure this is definitely going to help all of our listeners too. Thank you, Grant, for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I'm also looking forward to see many more innovative solutions coming from your end.